All right, we welcome you. This is part 15 in our series through the book of Acts, Heroes of the Faith. So as we're going through this book, we are taking notice at those certain individuals, those heroes of the faith that the Lord raised up then, and obviously he's wanting to do the same thing in our lives today. So we're learning a lot from these heroes of the faith then and how that impacts our life to where we can become those type of heroes today in our setting. And this morning, we're going to be introduced to a really amazing church, a group of people. And, and I know God is going to speak to all of our lives. So I want to start off by just giving you the hero of the faith trait, and it's this. And then we're going to kind of go into it in depth. One of the most heroic things you can do is to actively support global missions. Wow. So I'd like you to turn to your neighbor right now and just say, support global missions and be a hero. Now, it sounds pretty simple. It really does. And truly, if you support global missions, you're heroic. How could a believer or how could a church miss this? I mean, this is the entire theme for the book of Acts. Acts 1.8. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Why? So that you'll be his witnesses. Notice, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. It's going broader and broader. And all the way to the what? What does it say there? Ends of the earth. Underline ends of the earth. That is not only the theme verse for the book of Acts, but it's the great commission for every single believer. Why has Jesus left you and me on earth? You know, when we came to know him as Savior and Lord, why not just, boom, you know, rapture us? Why has he left us here? The purpose for us being here is to share the gospel here and around the world. It's called the Great Commission. Jesus put it this way in the Gospel of Mark. Go into all the world. Would you underline all the world? And preach the Gospel to all creation. Underline all creation. This is a verse written to you. It's very easy to look at this verse and go, oh, that's you know for pastors and missionaries. No, no, no. This is to all disciples. The endeavor to bring the Gospel to the ends of the earth is called global missions. It's the primary reason the church exists and the Christian exists. So, again, the fact here to underline this or underscore it, believers who actively support global missions are heroes of the faith. Anytime you as a believer or you and your church support global missions, that is heroic. But it's not as easy as it sounds. It's very easy for believers, and watch this, even for churches to become focused on themselves. Themselves. And forget about this global Great Commission. Let's just look at it for a moment, and this will be shocking to you. Let's look at it from a standpoint of just finances. There are 350,000 Protestant churches in the United States. The average Protestant church, of all the offerings it receives, 95% of all the offerings it receives are spent on itself, on the church. Staffing, insurance, buildings, maintenance. The other 5% goes to missions, praise the Lord. But this is how the United States defines missions. 4% of that 5% goes to local soup kitchens. And the needs around their community, 
So 1% is left for the world. You want to hear something really shocking? Of that 1%, 98, 99.8% goes to send American short-term missionaries and American career missionaries to already reached countries in the world. Only 0.2% of all missions giving money of 1% goes to support 2.1 billion people who have never heard the gospel in their life. That is an issue. Wow. Now, that's the bad news. The good news is we're going to look at a church that got it, that understood this, and praise the Lord for three crosses, that gets it. We are nothing like that statistic I just shared with you about. So this morning, we're going to be introduced to this group of people, really the first church that got the vision of global missions. How can we become a church? How can I become a believer who really gets in line with what God's program is for the world? Well, we need to become more like this awesome church at Antioch of Syria. Now, because of time this morning, I'm just going to give you this discussion question to think about in your own mind. Who is the most global missions-minded believer you know? Just think about that. Maybe you can picture that person. My prayer for you is that you will become that person. Is that when people start to think about who is a global missions-minded person, your name's going to come up because you're growing in this hero of the faith trade. Now, let me set the context for where we're going to go this morning. Um, Acts chapter 12 is the last time we hear about Peter in the book of Acts. Now, Peter will go on to have an awesome ministry, but it's not recorded in the book of Acts. There is a major baton passing that's happening right now, and everything is being passed now to a guy named Paul. It's going to Paul, and Paul is going to take this great commission to the ends of the earth big time. God raises him up for this purpose. Now, Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is not only the theme verse for Acts, but it gives us the outline for the entire book. For those of you who are like, oh, I like to have things organized in my mind. Well, you can think about the book of Acts like this. Look at the scriptures there in your outline. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's stage one of God's plan. That's chapter 1 through 7 of the book of Acts. It's all about Jerusalem. Then you go to Judea and Samaria. That's stage 2. That's Acts chapter 8 through 12. Deals with outreach, evangelism, church planning to Judea and Samaria. And then you come to the ends of the earth. That's Acts chapter 13 verse 28. And that's like the global commission part of it. So stage 3 of this gospel expansion is to the ends of the earth. And here's a little map. I think I have it. It's just a little picture. I think Robert can show it. Of just what, you know, Jerusalem, then Judea, which is the law, and then Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. The whole book is structured this way, but it's also a picture of what Christianity is to do in God's mission for the entire church. Now, today we're going to study... Paul's first missionary journey. Because what the book of Acts does in this third you know, stage of missions is it features three missionary journeys of Paul. And each of these missionary journeys will take Paul further out from Jerusalem 
more out into the world. And it will also, as you go into the first, second, and third, it'll take him longer periods of time to complete these missions trips. And today, we're just going to study Paul's first missionary journey, which would have taken Paul approximately 18 months to complete between the spring of A.D. 47 and the fall of A.D. 48. Now, the gospel is going to primarily expand among Gentiles, not the Jews, and we'll talk about that later, why that is the case. But surprisingly, it's not the church of Jerusalem that gets fully behind the Apostle Paul's vision and Luke's statement to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It really is this church, this Gentile church that arises in, Syria, in, in Antioch of Syria. And this is what often gets overlooked when Bible teachers and commentators <coughs> start studying the journeys of the Apostle Paul, uh, is they overlook something really important. And it's this, without the heroic support of the church at Antioch, which we're going to get into today, I'm not sure Paul's first missionary journey would even have been possible. At minimum, it would have been super, super difficult. So what I want to suggest is this. Yes, Paul and Barnabas, without question, they are heroes of the faith. faith no question about it. But the believers who supported them were equally heroic. God calls some to pray in the church. God calls others to go in the church. God calls others to support in the church. What I'm saying to you is this. When you support missionaries like me and others to go, you are equally heroic. It would absolutely be impossible for me to do what I do without you. And the heroes of the faith, which we're going to see today of Paul's first missionary journey, was this church at Antioch. We don't even know the names of the people in the church. But without them... Paul would never have done what he did. And without you, we could never do what we're doing. You are heroic as you support missions. So we're going to give you five characteristics of heroic support for global missions. Now, as we go along, I want you to kind of do some honest evaluation. This is going to kind of form a little bit of a checklist, this church at Antioch. And as we go through this, I'm going to give you like five characteristics of a, a Christian and a church that is heroic because of their support for global missions. And as we go through this, can you, will you evaluate your own life? Will you say, check, yeah, I'm doing that, or man, I need to grow in that area? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about this. So here we are. Number one, heroic support <coughs> for global missions involves financial support. So do you invest financially a portion of your finances, a portion of your tithe, do you direct it to global missions? Now, the first time we hear about this church at Antioch in Syria, take your Bibles, turn to Acts 11, was when Barnabas was sent there to this church by the, apost uh, from the, by the church, church at Jerusalem. Stephen was martyred, a great persecution broke out. Remember we studied this last Sunday? And, and the gospel spread to this church at Antioch in Syria and it was just like unbelievable, the growth. And so the church in Jerusalem sends Barnabas to this church. And, and Barnabas comes there and he sees the incredible thing God's doing. He sees a church beginning to form. He's like, oh my, they need Paul to help. Paul, Barnabas gets Paul, brings him back, and they disciple all these new believers. And these new believers at the church at Antioch, they got it. It wasn't just about themselves. 
They were so moved by the gospel coming to them, they're like, we need to get the gospel to others. And they found out there was a need in Jerusalem for money. They received an offering and sent it to Jerusalem to just continue the gospel expansion. And that's the first time we hear about this church. Whenever you and I give of our finances to global missions, we become a hero of the faith. Because of your support for global missions, we are entering into the third stage of God's missions work. We are actually carrying on where the Apostle Paul left off. You're just continuing what God has called us to do. So when you give the missions at Three Crosses, those finances, I think you know, they support 693 indigenous church planters, missionaries, that are going out into the least reached areas on planet Earth. And when you're supporting them, you are going with them. You're carrying out the third stage of God's great commission. So I just need to ask you in your own life, as time goes on, are you growing as a global Christian? You don't want to grow as a me-only Christian. And the church in the United States, it's consumed with this itself. It's, it's incredible. And you want to grow in your awareness and your opportunity to also invest in global missions. You know, in our lives, Tracy and I, we're continuing to grow in this area. I don't know if you have a family trust. We have a family trust. I encourage everyone to get a family trust. I've preached an entire message on it. If you want to get that, you can get that. Talk to me about it. But our family trust is set up this way. When Tracy and I die, everything gets sold that we own, which isn't a whole lot, but it gets sold. Everything gets liquidated, turned into cash. Half of that money goes to our three boys equally third, third, third. The other half goes 100% to global missions. Why? Because I love my kids, and they know it, but I love Jesus and his great commission. I do not want to spend everything on my family. That's so self-absorbed. Are you kidding me? You're kidding me. And I want my boys. By the way, I learned this from my parents. Their family trust is set up the same way. Half comes to us, half goes to missions. And then my three boys, why are we on this planet? For our own self, our own family? Really? We're here to expand the family of God. And that should affect even our finances, even our estate planning. And I've shared with you before, our goal is not only to give half of everything to global missions when we die, we are working on right now giving half to missions when we're alive of everything Tracy and I make. We're not there yet, but we're making progress. That's our goal. You say, that's really radical. No, it isn't. <laughs> it's not. It's just radical because we don't hear it preached a lot because the church is just so self-consumed. So I, just as your pastor, I'm growing in this. I'm learning. But I pass this on to you. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you about your life, your stewardship? Because we're here for the Great Commission. That's really it. Okay, move on to the next. This one's too uncomfortable. Number two, heroic support for global missions involves spiritual support. Now, listen, if you would, to the spiritual support for global missions that characterize this church at Antioch. I mean, this is really cool. We're in Acts 13 now. And look, if you would, at verse 1. Now, it's telling us who... We don't have a whole lot on this church. 
But what we do have revealed is really powerful. And it says in verse 1, Now, there in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. That must have been an incredible story. Who was this guy? He used to serve with Herod, and then he came to Christ, and now he's at this church. That guy must have had incredible testimony. And then it said, and Saul, Paul was there as well. Now, we do not know about everything about these guys, their names, but we know this much. These guys were global-minded. They were excited about the Great Commission, and this church at Antioch welcomed them. Spiritual leaders who had a global vision for missions. This is a church that looked forward to their mission Sundays. When we have a mission Sunday, when a missionary is going to be speaking in the main service, or you're going to get a missions update, does that excite you? Are you thrilled about that? Are you looking forward to that? That says something about your heart spiritually. Or you just come to church only for yourself. No, I just want to see what's, you know, if the pastor's speaking to me about me, great, I'll listen. But if it's about others and the 2.1 billion people that have never heard about Jesus, I'm just going to go to sleep. That is such a commentary on where we're at in our life spiritually. This church was on the edge of their seat to hear about missions. And you'll notice also how passionate they were to, about the spiritual things that undergirded missions. Look at verse 2. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting. This is describing this church at Antioch. Worshiping the Lord and fasting. The Holy Spirit said, so they're listening to the Holy Spirit. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, placed their hands on them, they sent them off. So here we have this church. They've got all these awesome spiritual leaders in it that are talking about God's global work. They're praying, fasting, worshiping the Lord of the nations. They're laying hands on missionaries, sending them out. This is a dynamic church, spiritually minded, excited about God's global work. Heroic support for global missions involves this spiritual sensitivity <laughs> uh, you know, to God's work and the support of global missions. Um, can I just you know, ask you this question? I guess is a good way to kind of put it. As time goes on in your life, as just time goes on, are you becoming more spiritually minded toward God's heart to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth? It's a simple question. Are you becoming, is it becoming more of a passion in your life? I, I just find it very interesting that not only in my life, but for all Christians I know who are becoming mature in Christ, the more time goes on, the more impact that they are about getting the gospel, not only out here, but to the ends of the earth. And, and that typifies someone who is a hero of the faith, globally missions-minded. Let me give you a third characteristic of heroic support for global missions. Heroic support for global missions involves sending support. Now, notice what's going on with these believers at this church at Antioch. <clears throat> because these believers at this church provided financial support for missions, and they had this spiritual sensitivity that was cultivated in their heart for missions, which we see, the Holy Spirit shows up in their lives. The Holy Spirit shows up in their church and begins speaking. And, you, and we read this earlier, 
while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit comes into their congregation, like shows up in followers. When you have a heart for the globe, and, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. So after they fasted and prayed and placed their hands on them, they sent them off. They sent them off. The Holy Spirit was saying to this church, I want to do something special through Paul and Barnabas and through all of you at this church in Antioch. We are going to bring history into the making through this church. Christian history is going to be birthed here. Because you will become the first church to send Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey because of your heart for the Great Commission. Well, they prayed for them. They laid their hands on them. They affirmed Paul and Barnabas. They blessed them. And most likely, they provided for these two guys the food they needed and the finances they needed for 18 months to go out and do ministry in an area where the gospel had never been taken, which we're going to, like, show you right now. So what happened? Well, this church at Antioch, filled with people that we don't even know their names, was used by God heroically to send Paul and Barnabas to where the gospel had never gone. So here's a map of uh, the Apostle Paul's first missionary journey. Here's a picture of the Antioch church in Syria. Okay, this is north of Israel's right here. Uh, and uh, here's Antioch. And so we're going to take you through what they experienced. I don't have the time to take you through two very long chapters that describe for you in detail this missionary journey. But it was awesome. It's so fun. I wish I had the time. It would take me weeks. Like I said... I could spend years teaching the books, book of Acts. But I'm going to take you through the highlights. What would it have been like to uh, travel with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas on a missionary journey? So I'm going to give you the highlights of these two chapters. First of all, they set sail from right here on the coast, and they go to Cyprus. And I think I have a picture, literally, of Cyprus when I flew over it a while ago. They land on the island of Cyprus. They go to Salamis, which is the port city, and they proclaimed the gospel for the first time in history at this port city. Then they walked the entire island all the way to the capital of Cyprus, which is Paphos. And it's there that Paul told this sorcerer. There's this demon-possessed sorcerer. And Paul looks at him and told the sorcerer that he was a child of the devil. <laughs> That's winning friends, right? You're a child of the devil. And furthermore, Paul said, you're going to be struck with blindness. And this dude goes blind. And he's like the leading spiritual guru of the area. And the governor of Cyprus, the whole governor, the Roman governor, he's seeing this take place. He's hearing the gospel for the first time. He's seeing the miracle of this sorcerer who is the spiritual leader of the area go blind. And he's like, that is power. And the governor puts his faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Wow. So the gospel comes to Cyprus. Now, Paul, in later journeys, he's going to go back to Cyprus. But this is how it all begins. Then Paul sails from here all the way over here to a place called Perga. So he lands in Perga. This is in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he literally walks inland. They travel all the way to Pisidia, uh, Antioch, which is above there. And they begin to, uh, as Paul's custom was, go into a synagogue. If 
This is a Jewish place of worship. If a city had a synagogue, it was always Paul's custom to go into that area first and see if they'd be open to the gospel. So he's invited to actually preach the gospel in this synagogue, first time they'd ever heard the gospel. And, and it stirred so many hearts that the next Saturday, they met on Saturday, almost the entire city, the Bible says, gathered to hear Paul preach the gospel. I mean, there is a stirring, the Holy Spirit reaching out to this Gentile-dominated area. And it says the word of the Lord spread throughout the entire region. However, the Jews in the synagogue got protective, and they got jealous, and they began to persecute Paul and Barnabas and ultimately expelled them from their region. So what did Paul and Barnabas do? They went to Iconium, and they go over here to preach the gospel here. And they, again, go into a synagogue, and the Bible says for a considerable amount of time, they preached in the synagogue, and many believed. And Paul was working miracles to confirm the truth of the gospel. However, <coughs> the entire city was divided. The whole city was divided over Paul's teaching. Chapter 14, uh, verse 4 talks about that. You can read that. The people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews, others with the apostles. And then once there, Paul learned... And Barnabas learned that there was a plan underway to literally stone them, to kill them. They fled to Lystra and Derbe. So what happens there? Well, as Paul is in the city of Lystra, Lystra, here, again, this is modern-day Turkey, uh, there's this, he's street preaching there. There's no synagogue in this area, total Gentile pagan area. And Paul is street preaching, and he sees this man who's lame from birth just laying down. But Paul looks at him directly, and he sees that this man has faith to be healed. And Paul says, stand up on your feet. And at once, this guy is healed. And the crowds saw this, and they think that uh, Barnabas was Zeus, and Paul was Hermes, Greek gods, because they thought, this is miraculous. And they think they're Greek gods, and they're trying to worship Paul and Barnabas. They're actually got the priest. He's coming out. They got animals. They want to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Paul and Barnabas are going, they, they said, uh, uh, we are only humans. We are bringing you the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God. And Paul kept preaching the gospel to the crowds. And even that it was hard for him to stop them, this pagan city, from sacrificing unto them. Well, what happened? Well, Look at chapter 14, verse 19. This often, often happens because Satan is at work. Verse 19 says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, up a little bit north where they were previous, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. That's a tough day at the office. I mean, literally... To stone you, they take you outside. That often puts you in a hole if there was one or an area where people could just pelt you with stones and kill you. And this is what they did to the Apostle Paul. Beloved, I have video that I can't even show you. Yet we have to, we are so, I have to say this kindly, but we are so ignorant as American Christians. I could show you video that would break your heart. It's too graphic. Of Christians that are stoned, Daily, whipped daily, beaten, killed. It's just too graphic. And we hear this and we just kind of read over it. 
But this is what our brothers and sisters are experiencing all over the world. Uh, here's a picture of my dear brother from India. I was just uh, with him a few months ago. This is Siraj. So he's in a train in India. He sees a woman who just is distraught, and he goes up to her in the train, and he begins to share the gospel of the love of Jesus with her. Radical Hindus see this. They surround Siraj, and as the train is going 40 miles an hour, they throw him out the window. And this is him recovering in the hospital. I met him on the street and because uh, I've been praying for him and had the opportunity to pray for him. You know, he's in healing now. He lost several teeth, has problems with his back. But the biggest misnomer that Christians in the United States think when we talk about this is that, oh, this just happens in an isolated manner. No, 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 no. He has been persecuted since then, and it happens every single day. Every day. So this is what the Apostle Paul is experiencing. And what happened with the Apostle Paul? I mean, they're so tough. Chapter 14, verse 20 says, well, Paul got up, went back into the city. This city stones him. He gets up. They, the disciples pray for him, and he goes back to the same city. And he spends the night, and then he leaves for Turkey the next day. And they won large numbers to Christ there in Derby. What then happened after all of this with the Apostle Paul? Well, then he returns to Lystra, Iconium, Pisidia, and Antioch. We go back to the, you know, he goes to Derby. Then he's going to go back. He's going to backtrack and go back all through the cities he previously preached. Why? This is always the pattern of the Apostle Paul. What is he doing? Why would he do that? Verse uh, 20, uh, 26. Let's look at that. Oh, here we go. Okay, yeah, verse 20, uh, actually, 3, I think it is. Boy, the, the light here is I'm, it's tough for me to read. I'm getting old, right? They preached the gospel in that city, and a large number of disciples, yeah, they came there. Then we must go through many part, hardships, Paul tells. And then I think it's verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and prayed and fasted, committing them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So they're going back. You see what they're doing? They're discipling those that they shared the gospel with. They're starting churches. They're establishing elders. This is the beginning of church planning that we're seeing take place here. And this is what Paul will do with his missionary journey. He's going to go back, plant churches, encourage, disciple. All the letters that you read in the New Testament, Philippians and Colossians. Paul went there initially sharing the gospel oftentimes. And then he writes them letters to encourage them about church planning and growth of the church. And this is what he's doing. So Paul ultimately, he makes his way back here, and then he sails all the way back to Antioch of Syria. And, and why would he do that? Well, i got to love this. Look at verse 26. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. I mean, he went back to the church that sent them and shared with them the great things that God has done. Isn't that what we do at Three Crosses? You will send me and others 
all over the world, we come back and we share with you what God has done so you can be encouraged by the work. This is exact. Why do we do this? Because this is what Paul did. This is the church at Antioch. This is the modern-day church of Antioch. Every church in the United States should be doing this. Every church. Not just ours. Every one. Until the gospel is taken to all the world. That 2.1 billion people never even heard the name of Jesus. Hmm. So heroic support for global missions includes sending. And you're doing such an awesome job in this area. You really are. You send 693 of these. This is one of the pastors that I personally support. We support dozens, personally, Tracy and I. We have his picture at home. You, many of you have these profiles. Praise the Lord. These are the pastors you're supporting, sending over there. You're involved in God's great work. Many in our own ministry are going to be going to Mexico in just a little while. Some of us go, and praise God, if you can support them to help them go, you're part of that. It's heroic as you do so. Fourth characteristic of heroic support for global missions. Heroic support for global missions involves listening support. And uh, we see here in verse 27, again, they show up. They come back to this church at Antioch, and arriving there, they gather the whole church together, reported all that God had done. So guess what? This church is listening to those reports. So it's heroic. Anytime you show up at a meeting, or you're hearing about what God's doing around the world, or you get an email about the pastor you're supporting in the area of what God's doing, and you read that, that is heroic. Yes, many of us are called to go, some of us are called to pray, some of us are called to support, but all of us are called to listen. Listen. It's heroic every time you grow in your worldview. Your worldview is not like how you see your reflection in the morning, or even how you see the United States. Your, your worldview grows when you begin looking at this world the way God looks at this world. When you begin to see Afghanistan and Pakistan and India and Southeast Asia, the way God sees it, your worldview is growing. You're listening. You're growing. And this is what the church there at Antioch was doing. All of us are called to listen. All of us are called to grow. It's a mark of a hero of the faith who's engaged in global missions. Number five, heroic support for global missions involves hosting support. And I love this. Verse 28 says that Paul and Barnabas stayed there a long time there, at the church at Antioch. Where did they stay? In the church? No, they stayed in the homes of those believers at the church of Antioch. Why? They needed to rest up. So sometimes hosting means literally, you know, having a missionary, one of our missionaries stay at your home and you host them and you feed them and how special is that? Other times it's literally bringing their profile home and they're literally in your home and you're praying for them. You're hosting this guy or this gal. You're praying for them. They're part of your family. One guy told me he wakes up in the morning, he goes to the refrigerator, and he says hi to his wife, and then he says hi to the church planner he supports by name, calls him out. How you doing, Frank? You know, whatever his name is. And he's just part of their family. I'm like, that's, that's a guy whose passion and, and this, this value of the global Great Commission is starting to sink in, and that's so special. So this is something we grow in. The church at Antioch, what a model church. And it was the people there, just like you. 
that supported this amazing work, the beginning of the gospel movement that went to the ends of the earth that we're still part of. So I'd like you to just kind of, we had you evaluate, you know, your life. I'd like you to just kind of look at these five character traits <laughs> we just talked about of heroic sport for global missions. It involves financial, spiritual, sending, listening, hosting support. Of the five characteristics of heroic support for global missions, which one, you know, could you maybe adopt in just greater measure? Why don't you talk about that for a couple minutes, then I want to tell you some incredible stories in a second. Okay, let me kind of bring this together and hopefully just speak to your heart right now. I know we've covered a lot this morning, but again, this trait this morning, one of the most heroic things you can do is actively support global missions. Notice, not passively support, actively support global missions. I want you to picture something right now. I want you to picture yourself in heaven, okay? What's that going to be like? It's going to be amazing. Absolutely incredible. Cecil is there right now. Heaven. In 50 years, okay, I see Chase over there. He's a young man. In 80 years, all of us will be in heaven. Maybe less than that. At the most, 80 years. I'm not supposed to laugh, Karen. <laughs> but just, just think of that. How awesome. I can't wait. We're going to be together. No more pain, no crying, worshiping, serving. Can't wait. Can I just say this? You will never regret supporting global missions when you get to heaven. There might be some things you regret when you get there, and God's going to take that away and wipe it away. But you will never regret, and I'm saying this to you as your pastor who loves you, you will never regret sacrificing, giving, supporting missions here and around the world, ever, when you get to heaven. No matter the sacrifice, And I just want to praise the Lord for this church. I want to thank God for you guys. All these things, you are the modern-day church at Antioch. You are. There are other churches as well. But you are it. Financially, spiritually, sending, listening, hosting. Doesn't mean we can't grow, but you're doing it. And I thank God for you. This is the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And I just love that. Chapter 13, verse 4. The two of them were sent on their way. Incredible. It would not have been possible for these two, Paul and Barnabas, to be sent on their way without the heroes of the faith at that awesome church in Syria of Antioch. Working their tails off eight, ten-hour days to support Paul and Barnabas sending them to bring the gospel to the nations. Those are the heroes of the faith. You are a hero of the faith. It would not be possible for these 693 church planters all over the world that are winning tens of thousands to Jesus to do what they're doing without you. I'm going to show you some videos right now that will literally prove it. But I look at chapter 13 and verse 44. 
here, and it just it says this. On the next day, on the Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the Word of God. As I go and I travel around the world, there are places, literally I go, that have never heard the gospel where the entire city gathers to hear the Word of God because a church planner has come into that city to bring the gospel, and you guys are behind it. Here's a picture. Here's a picture. Not this. There's other pictures. Not that, Robert. There's previous pictures. Um, one of a banner in... Uh, you don't have that? <laughs> okay. All right. Sorry about that. I wanted to show you a picture with just dozens and dozens of people who are listening to a church planner share the gospel for the first time in India, and they're just riveted in what they're hearing. And I share with you a while ago in our services how we sent out 4,600 gospel teens into thousands of villages all throughout India who shared the gospel for an entire week, and a quarter of a million people came to Christ as Savior and Lord. This is what's happening, what God is doing in, in these unreached areas around the world. The United States is reached. I'm not saying the gospel isn't needed here. It is. There are many people who need Christ, but there's 350,000 churches in the United States. There are many... Saudi Arabia doesn't have one church, not one. And we're going to these areas, and the response is absolutely incredible, and I'm sorry you don't have a video, I thought you would have had it, that would have just showed literally Indians for the first time by the hundreds hearing the gospel. And you just see, I couldn't even get into the room. There were so many people in this house. And I'm outside in the darkness. I'm taking video. I could not get in. So many were turning to Christ. And mothers are outside the house, literally standing there, looking at their kids inside, hearing about Jesus. When you've been possessed by demons your whole life, and finally you hear the gospel, it's such great news. <laughs> and this is the case all over the world. Well, this is a video that I do want to show you right now. By the way, uh, in the last nine months, through our giving here at Three Crosses, 36,707 house churches have been planted. And in the last nine months, through, yeah, just to God be the glory, in the last nine months, through these 693 pastors that are being sent out into these 16 countries all over the world, there have been 433,842 people that have come to Christ. And, uh, and to God be the glory. And that's just what our church is doing. In two weeks, I will not be here. I will be in India. I've been invited to go to India to witness the first ever baptism for 5,000 brand new converts who have come to Christ. It's never happened like this in the history of India, north of the Ganges. And this is just 5,000 of the near 222,000 that have come to Christ. But they're having baptismal services all over India with these new believers. And they said, Mark, please, will you come? So I'm going with a small team. A few of you are going to be traveling with me in this room. And believe me, in the future, I'm always looking for others to travel with. So if you want to go there and get stoned with me, I'm just joking. <laughs> so I want you to just take in this video, would you? This is uh, pastors from Uganda just sharing their gratitude for you supporting them. 
and let's see if we can let this video roll. On behalf of all church planters here in Uganda, we just want to say that thank you so much, dear brothers and sisters, for supporting this ministry, for supporting this work of God. You have sent us to be able to go and fetch as many people, as many souls as possible. Your support is sending us out to be able to do more for the Lord. May the Lord surely bless you so much. We are so thankful for that. God bless you. Well, you can tell they were really jamming right there. <laughs> but it, it's, it's hard for us to even envision that $50 a month literally sends them into full-time ministry. What's your paycheck? That's their paycheck. $50 supports them for a whole month. And so it's, it's hard for us to imagine that that's what it does, but they are so thrilled, and it's sending them into that gospel ministry. So, hey, let me pray. We are over time. Lord Jesus, thank you for a church that gets it. Lord, that doesn't mean there isn't room for us to grow. Lord, that doesn't mean that we don't have needs. We do, and we cry out to you for all those needs. But Lord, if we're self-consumed only with our life, wow, Lord, how depressing is that? I pray, Lord, that you would grow us in a vision like what you have, O oh God, and what you have, O oh Jesus, for the lost here in the United States and around the world. No question about it, though. Around the world in these other nations, God, there are millions and billions that have never heard the name of Jesus. And, Lord, that's where your heart is calling us to go because that's the Great Commission, to go to all the world. You're speaking about those who've never heard. And so, Lord, help us, I pray, as a nation in the United States to carry out the Great Commission. And, Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for every single person here, what you're doing in our hearts, what your Holy Spirit is saying right now about our involvement, leveraging our time, talent, and treasure for this, the reason why Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave. Would you just talk to the Lord, the Father? What's the Father saying to you right now about your life, about what he wants you to do, how he wants you to live in light of his great commission? Take a moment before we dismiss to just talk with God.